If you have a Bible, open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to do our message for this morning. Mark Twain said, when I was a boy of 14, I thought my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, it was amazing how much the man had learned in seven years. <laughs> this Moses gives us all a charge in Deuteronomy chapter 6 from 5 to 9. He says this, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments, he was repeating the Ten Commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on the frames of your gates. He's talking about not just having church in church, but having church everywhere you go. Living church. There was a motto in early America by the Puritans and the pilgrims. And the motto was this, every, <clears throat> every home a church. Every home a church. That was the goal of early Christianity in, in America was to make every home a church. They believed that the father should be the pastor in his home just like a minister pastors in the church. Going to church in a Puritan church was a lot different than how we go to church today. Today we go to church to make friends, receive prayer, learn from the Bible, to bring people to give their life to Jesus, and those are all good things. But really for the Puritans, that was about a, a 20 to 25% of the reason they came. For them, they devoted much of their church ministries to training up families how to have church at home. In fact, many times, if the community identified a spiritually irresponsible father, they would drag that man out of his home and he'd be beaten, fired, or fined for not leading his home spiritually. Now I know that such a thought seems extreme to us. Many of us have read literature from that era. Remember, literature is often told by the critics. Piece, books like The Scarlet Letter or the, the books on the, the Salem Witch Trials and things like that, all in that era. But the fact of the matter is, and sociologists will tell you this, for nearly 100 years in early America, there was little crime, little divorce, little theft, little murder, virtually no venereal diseases, little poverty, few drug addicts, no insane asylums, and little use for jails. Some of the first jails had to be constructed after 1700 when the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which was called the Massachusetts Colony by that point, began integrating non-Puritans into their economy. That's when you begin to see the construction of the first jails. You may say, how did they accomplish all that for 100 years? Because they recognize the source of all crime and brokenness and evil in the world. And they recognize how to fix it. And how to fix it for them? It begins in the home. Their motto would be, if you want to fix society, fix the home. As parents, our goal is often to move children from dependence to independence and i get it right no 
parent wants to pay for their child forever, all right? I understand that completely, and that, and that is really uh, kind of an American mindset, but what I'd like to submit to you is this. There's even a greater goal than that. The goal of parents is to move our children from depending on us to depending on God. Not from dependence to independence, from, but from dependence to a reshifting of their dependence to God and not us. Because no matter whether we are fathers or mothers, we are always children. Amen? Always children of a heavenly father. When our children are born, they're 100% dependent on us. Oh yeah, they are. They are 100% dependent on us. But as they grow, it's 80 and then 50 and then 30% dependent on us and then 20% dependent on us and then, you know, pretty soon they're not. But while they may be born with 100% dependence on us, hopefully by the time we send them out into the world, we've given them a mindset that they will be 100% dependent on God. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, the Apostle Paul describes what our goals as father and mother and child raiser should be. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging. That's the first verb he used. A father encourages his children. The word encourage means to come alongside someone who is struggling and to help them out. Not to do it for them. If there's anything wrong with what we see today, it's moms and dads step in and just start doing stuff for their kids rather than truly encouraging them, which is to come alongside and help them do it. Help them do for themselves. It kind of has the idea of when a runner begins to stumble as they round the last turn toward the finish line. Rather than running by them and letting them fall and finishing the race on your own, you slow down, you put your arm around them, and you carry them to the finish line, even if it means you personally lose the race. There was a young man who left home against his father's advice, and he wanted to become what's called a merchant mariner. Some people say merchant mariner, but it's, I think it's merchant mariner, right? Merchant Mariner, as basically a commercial sailor, right? Works on a, a sailing vessel for commercial purposes. And his father really didn't want him to do it, was against it, didn't think it'd be a good idea, but he, went, he was of age, he went out and did it anyway. After about six months of being seasick and losing about 30 or 40 pounds, he had become such a burden on the commercial crew that they actually were coming back to port to drop him off and fire him. They said, we don't know what you're looking for, but this ain't it. So then he's there singing the port. He's got enough money for one phone call. He calls his father. In that moment, the father has a chance to either be an encourager or a discourager. And this is what the dad said. He said, don't sweat it, son. Come on home and start again. And don't worry. Everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. Sometimes we just need a dad to tell us everything is going to be all right. Don't sweat it. Come on home. We'll start over. Second thing is, is fathers comfort their children. Uh, again, that same verse, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting you. 
Our kids need fathers, not a boss. Most bosses are excellent at finding fault. It's kind of their job. But good fathers, they know how to cheer their kids to victory. One time, there was a young man who was walking home, and, and his buddy right next to him had just been dumped by his girlfriend. And he was very, very sad. And they walked home very quiet. He didn't know what to say, but the boy who had been dumped was taking it very bravely. Oh, yeah, she didn't mean anything to me anyway. Da, 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 da. He said, all right, well, here's your house. And the boy continued to walk on the sidewalk, and he looked back, and he saw the friend who had been dumped go up the driveway, and his father was in the garage working on something. And he just walked up. He saw the boy walk up to his father, and all of a sudden he just saw his father hug him and hold him with those big arms and those big hands. It was a father comforting his son who had just gone through something very hard. And the third thing Paul says is that fathers challenge their children. He says, this is the full verse, for you know how we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. That's a challenge. To urge somebody to live their life worthy of the God who gave it to you who calls you into his kingdom and glory. When I was a child, I heard over and over again, you are your father's son. Everybody ever had that said over you? You're your father's son, you know? Whether for good or for bad, you know, we are a reflection of our parents. But Paul says in the similar way that we represent God. That living a life worthy of God means that we represent God. Part of the process of going to heaven is not just saving God for heaven, but representing God here on earth. So if you have your discussion sheet, don't worry, this won't take long. You can flip it over. And on the back, you'll find some areas to fill out if you would like to. Just four quick points, and then we'll close with some worship. First thing is this. And this is for fathers, mothers, this is for everybody. Encourage, comfort, and challenge. Encourage, comfort, and challenge. Every action a father, a mother, or authority figure should do should somehow point back to encouraging, comforting, and challenging. I had two football coaches. One was a mean old cusp. And I think he went to his car every day worried that we were going to jump him because he was just that mean. And he was an alcoholic. But he, we didn't like him. We still played for him, but we didn't like him. Then the second one, and we didn't do very well that season. The second one, one of the toughest men I ever met. He had, his arms were bigger than my legs. I mean, just, he worked out too much that he walked like this, you know? We almost wanted to tell him, hang off the steroids, dude, you know? But he was such an encourager and a comforter. I'd never think that a man that looked like he looked would be a comforting person. But when it came to our team and our goals, and boy, did he challenge us. 
And that was the year and our frost soft team went 9-0. Because man, there was, there, was, there was no problem that man could not lift us out of and push us through victory. Number one, encourage, comfort, and challenge. Number two, this is for fathers, mothers, or anybody. Say no now so that they will say no later. Parents say no now so that their children will say no later. My kids, they don't know all the times why I'm saying no to stuff. And you know what? I don't even expect them to. They haven't lived long enough. They don't understand the reason behind every no. And I can't always explain to them the reason behind every no because sometimes it just takes life experience to understand why it's a no. But one day, God willing, they will be 46. And they will look back and go, you know what? I get it now. I understand the no. So we say no now so that they will say no later. Number three. People learn more what is caught than what is taught. Let's face it, not all of us are like the Puritans. Not all of us have Bible studies in our homes. Not all of us have families who could form a full worship team. Not all of us go on mission trips with, fam- with our families. Not all of us cultivate much of a spiritual atmosphere inside of our home. We should, but we don't, we're not perfect at it. But the fact of the matter is, Kids catch a godly example. They see it and they feel it. When you were kind, when you were forgiving, when you were merciful, when you trusted God, when you didn't give in to fear, and when you encouraged them toward their faith. That kind of stuff is caught, not taught. In fact, if you were to ask my kids, as they get older, less and less do they want to hear it. They just want to see it. Okay, Dad, it's great that you're apologizing for this, but we just want to see it. (laughs) Sometimes people just got to see it because we learn far more by what is caught than what is taught. And then finally, number four, learn to see God as Father. Not all of us had great father figures or great examples. I understand that. Like I said, mine didn't start out too well. Man, he ended up amazing. And at times, if you were to ask me, is it hard to see God as Father? Yeah, because my father was hard on me and strict at times. At times. And yet, he was also, like I said, one of my best friends now. But we will never truly have a relationship with God until we see God as Father. Perhaps the Father you always wanted, the Fathers you always should have had. That is who God is. God encourages us, he comforts us, and he challenges us. And that's how God acts to us. When we're down, he encourages. When we're broken, he comforts. When we're stagnant, he challenges us. I pray that in a hundred years, if our planet has that long, that our great, great, great grandchildren will rise up and give thanks for the godly example we showed in the year 2021. Fatherhood is always about the long game for us and for God. I encourage you to keep God first in your life and he'll lead you through every shadowy valley that comes your way.
there's a story, I've told it before. It's a Spanish story, many of you heard it. There was a man and his son who got in a horrific fight. It was so bad that the son decided to leave the house. The father was broken over the fight. Words were exchanged and he wanted to heal with his dad, with his son. So he put out an ad in the Spanish newspaper. And the ad read, Paco, this is your dad. I am sorry. Come home, all is forgiven. Meet me at the square this Saturday at 8 a.m. The father went to the square that Saturday at 8 a.m. And 800 Pacos were there waiting for a father to come home to and forgive them. We crave, we crave our father's covering and our father's forgiveness. Bow your heads with me. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I forgive my father for all the wrongs and imperfections that he had. I thank you for the spiritual fathers you brought into my life. But I commit to have my relationship with you be God as Father. I make you my Savior. Fill me with your Spirit and forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.